again to DOXA. I'm Aubrey. Um, I'm one of the small group leaders here. And let's take out our Bibles. We're going to continue our series in Acts. And I'll have you follow along as I read Acts 1, 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Well, all right, Doxa. Guys, it is really great to see you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Rob. I'm one of the, the pastors here. Guys, I was at the uh, fall retreat last night. Um, somehow I had the job of, of being the uh, Sasquatch for this big Sasquatch game, and I realized as I woke up this morning how old I'm getting. <laughs> Literally woke up out of bed and everything was hurting, and I was like, what was I doing dressed up like a Sasquatch? climbing trees and running around. I, w I got a little, so I'm really competitive, guys. And my job as a Sasquatch was to like tag like college students to like, like kill them or like make them lose their life or something. And like I was losing. I couldn't catch them because I'm old and slow. And, and literally this girl, I didn't know it was a girl at first, but her, one of our leaders named Nicole, she came and was trying to like get the goal or whatever. And I don't even know what I was thinking. I like full out like speared her, like tackled her. It was terrible. <laughs> I'm like laying there, I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. And she's like, I can't breathe. <laughs> right? So we had a great time. I don't know if Nicole's going to be coming back, but she's awesome. So you can pray for her. No, she's... <laughs> but guys, uh, today we're, we're continuing this, this study through the book of Acts that we started last week. And, and guys, as we get into this, let me say this. Guys, as I've been uh, studying Acts in preparation for, for this teaching series, because I've, I've really just been like filled with like excitement and anticipation of what God is going to do in us and, and through us 
over these next nine months as, as we get into this. All right, because I, I really believe that, that even though we've, we've been seeing God do some amazing things in the year that we've existed as a church, I mean, we've seen people come to Jesus, people getting baptized, we've got this building project, so many amazing things. I really believe, guys, that, that the best is ahead of us. That God has some amazing things, and, and really, I, I really think that, guys, if we're humble, all right, and, and really just like um, expectant and attentive to what God is doing in our midst, he's going to continue all that he's doing. And this is really what the book of Acts is all about. All right, the book of Acts, as we talked about last week, is the chronicle of the spreading flame. All right, the spreading flame of the gospel of Jesus and his church, which has really just completely transformed human history and has spread all around the world in such a way, guys, that it's even ignited us here in Madison, where we find ourselves in the second floor of a hotel, gathered, wrapped up into this, this spreading flame, expectant that God is wanting to do something great. And, and I want you to know, guys, that this history in which we're going to be studying throughout the book of Acts, I want you to hear this. This is so important. It's not for the sake of information, guys, but it's for the sake of mission. All right, because the book of Acts is, is all about Jesus's mission in our world today. It's this, this spreading flame. And this is so important for us to know. This is so important for us to study because, guys, if we miss this, we really miss kind of like one of the great heart cries of God and really one of the great purposes of our church. And what this means for every single one of us is, is this, okay? Because the life that you've been given is not about your personal mission. All right, it's not about my mission. Because it's all about Jesus' mission and how we fit into it. That as Christians, guys, we don't, we don't sit down and kind of ask, like, what is the mission of my life? Because see, like organizations and businesses, they can kind of sit down and have powwows and they can figure out what their mission statement is and they can determine why they exist as an organization. But if we follow Jesus, if we love Jesus, if we worship Jesus, guys, every church, every Christian has the same exact mission, to love God and to love people. That this is the mission of God, right? We can boil it down into two things, Jesus and people. People meeting Jesus because Jesus loves people. This is the mission that we're going to study. This is the mission that we're ultimately going to seek to live by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is where we see all the way through the book of Acts. And so with that said, guys, we're going to continue our study today in Acts chapter 1. And here's what's going on, okay? After Jesus was killed... He was resurrected, he ascended back into heaven, and in the midst of this, there was like this great sense of like expectancy and anticipation in the church. All right, that in the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension, that Jesus was kind of like going back and forth from, from earth to heaven, and in this process, history records that Jesus like appeared to many groups of people. All right, even when we look at the Bible in, in places like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we see that Jesus, after he rose from death, he appears to large groups of people, like upwards of 500 people at a time. And so what this means is that there were hundreds, all right, maybe thousands of people who saw Jesus risen from death. And guys, I want you to hear this. As this happened, there was just like this overwhelming sense of expectancy and anticipation in the church that God was doing something great. And that he wanted to do something great, and he was going to do something great. And in the midst of this excitement and this anticipation, we saw last week Jesus, he says, yes, I actually am going to do something great among you and through you, but before that, you need to wait. 
Right, and I, I don't know if you think of it like, this is how I think of it. It's like, you know when you were younger and like it was like the weeks leading up to Christmas and your, your parents were like, man, I got you something great for Christmas. It's, it's gonna blow your mind, unbelievable. And you're like, really, what'd, what'd you get me? What do they say? You're gonna have to wait, right? It was just like painful, but like painfully delightful expectation. Like, what am I gonna get? Like, what is like, what does my, what does my dad have for me? Guys, this is what's going on in Acts chapter one. They're waiting with this type of excitement. And as we look at verses 12 through 26, which Aubrey just read, all right, we watch God's people and they're in waiting. And they're in waiting and they wait with expectancy. And as they do this, guys, they do three things that I believe are like timeless and timely principles and patterns that need to be part of our lives individually and our lives corporately in the life of Doxa. You know, I'll go as far as saying that these three things they really position God's people to experience him doing great things in their midst. And since we want this as a church, right? Like since our goal is not to just like create kind of just like this, this room of people, but we wanna see the gospel move, right? This is one of our core values is movement. Like so we move into the men and women that God has created us to be, but we also wanna see the gospel move in great ways through like church planning and evangelism, like movement. And since we want this, guys, Here's what this means. Because we as a church family, we need to learn today. And not just learn for the sake of information, but to implement these things into our lives for the sake of mission. All right, so let's get into this. Three things that God's people do as they wait for God to do great things. Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they return to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. All right, so the Sabbath day, you couldn't travel very far on the Sabbath, so it was very close that they were going. All right, and when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. I want you to circle Peter in your Bible. We're gonna come back to him. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So the first thing that they do as they wait for God, write this down, is that they gathered. All right, so at this point in, in human history, Jesus says he's God. He, he demonstrates and he shows that he's God by rising from death. He appears to his early followers. He gives the biggest mission in the history of the world. And Jesus tells them to wait for the Holy Spirit's power. And Luke tells us here that they actually listened to Jesus. They went to Jerusalem, just as he told them to do, and they gather there. And they're in the upper room, this, this like second floor of a house that was just literally just a big open platform room. And they're just waiting as they gather. And guys, here's the thing. As they gather... The end of Luke's gospel, so remember Acts is the part two of, of Luke's writing, but at the end of Luke's gospel, Luke says that they were gathering with great joy. And this word joy in, at the end of Luke's gospel, guys, this is like, not just like joy, like, oh man, I got an apple fritter from Greenbush, I'm really joyful, right? It's like, no, like, it was like mega joy, like there was just something that was amazing happened. They were excited about what they just saw, that they just saw Jesus raised back from the dead and then they watched him ascend into heaven. Like, imagine that. Like, they, they had seen this, and with great anticipation, they, they gathered together thinking, like, oh my gosh, like, what is he going to do next? And guys, in this gathering, here's what we need to know. And I'll, and I'll ask you a question, guys. What is the church? I mean, think about that. Well, like, what is the church? Not a trick question, right? It's just the gathering of God's people. 
This is what the church is. And I want you to know that the church is God's plan to redeem and save the world. It's, it's a huge purpose that God has for us here at Doxa. In Titus chapter 2, the Apostle Paul shows us this beautiful truth saying this. Listen to this. He says that Jesus, who, who gave himself for us to, to redeem us, he did so not only just to save us from sin, but to unite and make a, for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That God's ultimate plan is to form a group of people, the church, who are zealous for good works. Now, to understand this, guys, we, we really have to understand what are, what are these good works that, that Paul is, is talking about. And while we can say a lot about this, guys, the primary job of the church is to love God and love people. I mean, really, like, let's not, like, over-mystify it. Like, this is it. Jesus says it in, in Luke 10, 27, like, the two greatest commandments, love God and love people. This is the mission of Jesus, which is ultimately carried out by the gathering of God's people in the church. And guys, what that means is that this, this group that you're sitting in today, Doxa Church, guys, we're not just like a social club. We're not just like an activist group. This isn't like you, you're a member of the Princeton Club and you kind of get together or Planet Fitness and you kind of go to Planet Fitness for Muffin Day when you, after you get done working out. Right? This isn't like that type of, of group. By the way, do you guys, anybody go to Planet Fitness? Like, I go there and work out, and it's like I get a good sweat, and then I walk out, and I have to walk past donuts and pizza. It's really weird. Okay. Anyway, we're not just a, a group like that, but we're God's church. God's church, his family, who gather for the sake of Jesus' mission to continue what Jesus started, seeing people saved and redeemed by the power of God. The missiologist, Reggie McNeil, he says it like this, that the church is the gathered people of God partnering with God in his redemptive mission in the world. Guys, it's all about Jesus and his mission to serve and to save and to love people. This is who we are at Doxa. And this is why we gather. We're a family, the family of God. But we're not just a family, but we're a family on mission. This, this family that's been brought together by the saving work of Jesus on the cross with the mission to grow this family by introducing people around us throughout our great city to the good news of Jesus, that we just need to know this, guys. This is why we exist. And I, and I want you to know, guys, when it comes to the church, this thing that you're sitting in right now, this is God's plan A for reaching the world and redeeming the world, mobilizing his people gathered together. Now, in addition to this, guys, there's this beautiful truth here that I want us to see in this guy. So like, is you, is Aubrey read this? Like, did anybody be like, you're like, how the heck this guy burst open? Like, how is he gonna like preach through this, right? I, I had that thought. And as I studied this, you know, I thought about handing it off to Ronnie because I was like, I don't want to touch that one, right? But, but I was just like, as I was studying this and reading this, I, I really felt like God was just like showing me like really cool stuff in here. But there's this beautiful truth that we see about the gathering of God's people called the church. And it's this, guys. All are welcome to be part of this family on mission. And here's why I mention this, guys. As we, as we look at this list of people, look, look back to verses 13 and 14. As we look at these lists throughout the Bible, there's a tendency, at least for me, to like, you read about all these people's names and you, and you start to think like, oh my gosh. Like, these must have been like incredible people. Like, if we just had some of those people part of Doxa, like, this would be amazing, right? And you, you does anybody else do that? You, you, you see these lists of people and you're like, man, they must be amazing people. But guys, I want you to know, that's not true at all. 
All right, that these people, every people in the, in the Bible that you read in these different lists, all people of the world, because we're the same. We're, we're broken, we're messed up, we're sinful, we have problems like all of humanity. But the good news shown to us by the gathering of God's people in this is this. God saves sinners and brings people into his family. And guys, the early church gathering, this list of people, were just that. They were broken, sinful people gathered by the redemptive work of Jesus. And I want to demonstrate this to you by, by our text here, all right? So I had you circle Peter. Here's why. I want you to consider Peter, all right? Peter is the, the leader of the early church, right? He stands up. If you look at verse 15, we see this. He, he stands up. He's the leader of the early church. But who, here's the truth about Peter. Yes, God used him in like incredible ways to do amazing things, but Peter... If you know his story, he was broken and messed up in many significant ways. If you, if you think back to the Gospels, Peter actually denies even knowing Jesus. You remember that? Like he denies Jesus. Jesus gets killed. Peter's kind of walking around the town and people are like looking for Jesus' disciples and they're like, hey, you were that guy with Jesus, right? And Peter's like, no, nah, man, that's not me. And they're like, no, no, you're that guy. I saw you. With, I don't know him. And they're like, no, I, I swear I saw you. And they're like, look, I don't know Jesus and I don't follow him. Like, this is Peter. He denies him. He denies Jesus. But look at this. Now we see him leading. Because what happened? What happened to Peter? And to answer this, I want you to look at this. Look back to this list. You notice that like all of Jesus' guys are there except one. Right? Who? Judas, right? Well, what happened to Judas? We all likely know the story, right? He was one of Jesus' original 12. Jesus chose him. Judas was following him, right? He, he loved Jesus, but ultimately he betrays Jesus for money. That just like us at many times, like sin got the better of him, right? And after, after Jesus like loves Judas and invites him in, Judas's sin, right, caused him to, to betray him and his failure. And we see, guys, as a result of his sin and failure, what's this sad reality that we see? Verses 16 through 19. He takes the money that he got for betraying Jesus. He buys a plot of land and he is so racked with guilt from his sin and his failure that he kills himself. He literally ends his life, that his sin literally kills him. And in this case, it's not just a spiritual death, but it's a, it's a physical death. And guys, here's what we can learn about this. Back to Peter, the leader of, of this early group of Christians. I'll ask you this question. What is the difference between Peter and Judas? There's only one thing. You know what it is? It's what they did with their sin and their failure. Because they were both failures. They were both sinful in their own ways. Peter denies Jesus. Judas betrays Jesus. But how they responded to their sin and their failure makes all the difference in the world and all the difference in their lives. Listen to this. Peter, he took his sin and he took his failure and he brought it to Jesus. Judas took his sin and his failure and he brought it to his grave. Guys, what you do with the sin in your life determines whether you will gather with God and his family or die apart from God and his family. The sin in our lives, unmediated, will keep us from gathering with God and his family. And I know that, that some of you here 
and some of us, I'll even lump myself into this at times, you, you look at your sin and you look at your life and you're tempted to believe that there is no way that you can fit in here at Doxa. You're thinking like, man, there, there's really not a chance. Like, I don't, I don't belong in the, in the family of God. Guys, this was, this was my story. Like, Jesus came to me as an addict, a womanizer, just a pathetic excuse for a man. And I remember going to a church and thinking, looking around at all these people. They have their hands up in worship, and they're praying. And I was like, I don't belong here. I'm, I'm definitely not good enough. Like, there, there's not a place for me here. But here's what you need to know. If you're thinking this, guys, there's only one perfect person here at Doxa, and his name is Jesus. This is why we sing to him. This is why we pray to him. This is why we preach about him. The rest of us, we got a lot of issues, a lot of problems, and we're just broken. And this is what makes the gospel, the good news of Jesus, so incredibly beautiful. Because that God loves and God saves sinners. And not one of you has done too much or is too far gone. And the gospel of Jesus, guys, is a gospel of hope because if you're not dead, that means that God is not done. That whatever sins that you've committed and failures that you have, guys, you could be thinking about the week that you just had and what you did last night and the things that you, no matter what that is, I want you to know that today is a great day for you. It can be a great day for you because you can bring all of that to Jesus just like Peter, that you don't have to run away like Judas that we can come to Jesus just like Peter in the midst of his sin and failure. And we can come to Jesus and we can say, Jesus, I'm sorry. And we can lay it at his feet and just ask him, forgive me just like Peter. Forgive me and allow me to go and to tell the world that you are a God who forgives, that you are a God that's full of grace. And let my miserable, pathetic story of sin and failure be an example of how great you are. This is Christianity, right? I mean, this is like the gospel. This is my story. If you're a Christian, this is ultimately your story. And so the question, guys, I, you have to ask is like, what are you going to do with your sin? Will you respond like Peter or Judas? Because Jesus is inviting you today. He's inviting all of us to just bring our sin. And I want to invite you to come to Jesus today, to be forgiven, to come into the family of God to be restored to God's plan for your life, to join Jesus on his mission, to give new stories to people, that today can be the day of salvation for you guys. It's a great day. And this is how the, the people in Acts chapter one gathered, right? You see that it grew like to 120 people that are gathered in this room because Jesus made it possible. And I want you to hear this, guys. When God's people gather like this, it sets the table for God to move in great ways, all for the sake of his mission that God wants to use us as we gather for his glory and the good of our city, seeing so many people, many more people in our city come to Jesus and get a new story. This is why we gather here at Doxa, to worship the God who saved us, who has made us new, and who gives us a new story, and he pushes us forward to go do the same thing so that other people can have that same redemptive story as us. And so they gather they gather as redeemed failures, and they're anticipating that God is going to do amazing things. And this leads us to the second thing that they do. Write this down. Guys, it's this. They believed. Look back at, at verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women, and underline this next part, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Because these, these people were, were all together and they stayed together for one reason. One reason. 
They believed. They believed. They believed Jesus and his gospel with all of their hearts, like with everything they are. And now, let me just back out of this and just ask a question that I think a lot of people maybe would ask today. And I've talked to a lot of people in this city, right? And, and this is like kind of the question. is like, how can someone have such strong belief in faith in a God and this man, Jesus? Like, how do these people have such strong belief? Because I know that some of you, you, you really struggle with doubt. Some of you are, are really skeptical in nature. And while you maybe want to believe, you, you really aren't sure. But this group of people, we looked, they were like utterly convinced. They, they, they believed with their entire heart. I mean, if you look at the apostles and you study what happened to them, all of the apostles, except for John, were executed for their faith and their belief. Died horrendous deaths. The apostle Paul, he was beheaded. History says that Peter was crucified upside down. I mean, like terrible deaths. And they were killed because they wouldn't stop believing. Jesus kills. They start going after his followers. And, and they're like killing these people. And they're like, I'm going to kill you. And they're like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I believe. I saw this. I can't say I don't believe. And they killed him. They wouldn't stop believing. And maybe you're kind of like a, a skeptical person. And you, and you really don't know how you can have that kind of belief in faith. Because I want to help you with this, and I think this passage actually helps us. Because here's why they had such belief, guys. It's the resurrection. The fact that they just saw Jesus killed, and then he came back to life. And honestly, guys, when we talk about the resurrection, it's not difficult for us to see why like, some people are like, tempted to dismiss this as kind of like an old wives' tale or like a, a myth or something like that. I mean, no matter how Christian you are, Right? You just have to be honest and admit that the issue of the resurrection is just kind of like crazy, right? Yeah. You with me? Okay, yeah. One person is like, yep. <laughs> okay. But it's just crazy. And for those of you guys who are who you're not Christians or, or maybe you're skeptical and you, and you hear about the resurrection, you might be like thinking like, okay, like I get that you're into that and you believe that, but like literally this just like, it's insane. It's like really strange. And here's what I'll say to you guys. We know. Like, we know that this is crazy. And that's why we call it a miracle. It's, it's like kind of like a, a big deal to us. Like, because this has never happened before and it's never going to happen again. The resurrection of the dead is absolutely crazy. And it's kind of like as Christians, like, this is our thing. Right? We made a, a holiday around it. Right? That everything that we, we do and practice and preach is like rooted in this reality. And guys, I want you to know this. It's like this truth, right, that can take your belief from being a cloud and make it a mountain. But some of, some of you in this room, like, you have like a, a faith and a belief that's kind of like a cloud. It's kind of floating up there, but the minute like doubts come in, like a trial comes in, like you hear a, a professor or somebody pre teaching about something else, like the cloud just kind of gets like blown away, right? And, and you start to doubt. And you're like, well, maybe this isn't really true. The historicity of the resurrection will take your belief from being a cloud and it will make it a mountain where it cannot be moved. This is what Luke is writing for. This is how he introduced his gospel, that we could have certainty in everything that Jesus did and taught. And what I want you to understand, guys, is we don't just believe the resurrection because we find it like interesting or like compelling or anything like that, but because there's substantial reasons and historical evidences both inside and outside of the Bible 
that are very compelling when you put them together in the case, and one of them is right here. As you look at Mary, Jesus' mother, and his brothers, what are they doing? Like Jesus' family are here, they're gathered, and they're worshiping him. Now, you got to understand this, guys. Like Mary and Jesus' brothers, they were very devout Jews. And so they knew that if you worshiped the wrong God, like that was enough to send you to hell. And so they really had to get this right. And here's the thing, like throughout the Gospels, you're going to see Jesus, right, throughout his life, like his family, they, they kind of thought he was crazy. All right, you, you look back and he's making these claims, like to, to be God. And they're kind of watching him and they're like sitting back, like kind of like, guys, there's like an institution right down the road. Like who's going to make the, the call, right? And we can get someone down here real quick, lock him up, it'll be fine. They'll get him some good help, right? They didn't believe. They, they literally thought he was crazy until they watched him rise from death. And when the resurrection happened, Mary and Jesus' brother, they start to worship him as God. I mean, think about this, like, you moms with like, you have a son, right? Like, how many of you would be like, you know, my son is just sinless and I worship him? It's like, no, right? You just got done spanking him, right? Mary looks at her son and says, oh my gosh, he is who he says he is. Jesus' brothers, who thought he was crazy, Jesus appears to, to James after his death and presents himself alive. In James, in Jude, Jesus' brother, they become pastors and start planting churches in the name of Jesus. And they're all gathered here worshiping him as the sinless God, Christ and King. Why? Because he's God. And he's proven it by rising from death. And so they believed with everything that they had as they gathered together and they did what Jesus told them to do. Now, I want you to see this, okay? Not only did they believe that Jesus was God, but in addition to that, they also believed that the Bible was the word of God. Look back to verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. Circle this next part, which the Holy Spirit spoke which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David. Guys, these early Christians not only believed that Jesus was God, but they believed that the scriptures, the Bible, was the word of God. And because they had this belief, they actually did what the scriptures said. And so Peter, he's quoting two different Psalms, predicting Judas's betrayal and that they needed to replace him with Matthias. And so they actually do it. But here's what I want to tell you about the Bible. Guys, this book, this book is a book that, that God wrote. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's the very words of God. This is what we believe here at Doxa. And I, and I know that some of you, you, you might struggle with this. You, you might look at the Bible and, and be like, okay, I don't actually know if this is the actual words of God. But I want you to hear this, guys, the same way that the Holy Spirit of God empowered Jesus to do what he did while on earth, who raised Jesus from the dead, who empowers us to continue Jesus's mission, also inspired the words of the Bible to be written by men. And because of the Holy Spirit's power and his miraculous movements, guys, we believe that these are the very words of God and they're inspired and they're important and they're given by God. So everything matters in that book. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 18, Right, that not an, not an iota or a dot of the Bible could be ignored. 
that there's no parts of the Bible that we don't believe. All right, we're not like, maybe some of you have studied like um, American history. You've heard of Thomas Jefferson. Yes? Good. Right? But Thomas Jefferson, we, we cannot be like him. Well, what do you mean? Well, Thomas Jefferson came to the Bible in the White House with a razor. And he cut out the parts of the Bible that he didn't agree with and didn't like. Because we, we cannot be like some who, who like much of, of what Jesus said and what Jesus did, but then ignore the other parts and just kind of dismiss it as like outdated or irrelevant or like culturally incompatible with us. Like we can't do this. It's, it's God's word to us, all of it. The Apostle Paul, he gives us the right perspective of how we approach the Bible. Right in 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for us. Guys, the Bible is a book that God has written. And when people... When God's people gather around it and they believe it, great blessings come. James, Jesus' little brother, pastor, writes a book of the Bible. In James chapter 1, James even says that, that when we hear the word of God, when we hear the Bible and do what it says, like blessing comes. This is what the early church experienced. They gathered because of their belief. And as they gathered, they believed the word of God and they had great expectancy that God was gonna do great things and they listened and followed him. And that led them to what? It, they devoted themselves to what? Prayer, right? This is the last thing. The third thing that they did as they waited is that they prayed. Again, look back to verse 14. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Circle that in your Bible. They were devoting themselves to prayer. And this is something that, honestly, guys, it really hit me this week as, as I studied this passage, that the prayer of these people here in Acts really falls into to three categories. It was persistent, it was expectant, and it was dependent. It was persistent in that they devoted themselves to it. They were, they were constantly crying out to God for 10 days, from the ascension to, to Pentecost, which we'll study in Acts chapter 2 next week, where we see the Holy Spirit come and do crazy stuff, right? There's fire, there's wind, people are speaking different languages. It's insane, right? We'll, we'll have fun with that one next week and talk about the Holy Spirit. But 10 days, they persistently were praying. The last verse in Luke's gospel says that they can constantly, they were continually meeting in the temple and they were praying during this time. And so the idea is, is, guys, they were all together and they were constantly praying, persistently, that they believed so fully and so fervently that they couldn't help but to pray with persistence. They loved Jesus. They needed Jesus. And so what did they do? Guys, they talked to Jesus. Guys, this is what prayer is. I've heard it said that prayer is like crawling up on the lap of your father and talking to him. This is what prayer is. But it was also expectant, all right, that they had just seen Jesus do like a miracle of like the resurrection and the ascension. And as they prayed, guys, they, they had just thought that like, God's got to be doing something huge, like even more. And this really convicted me. I don't know if this convicts you or not, but as I encountered this in this text, I mean, so many times in prayer, like I like limp into prayer. Do you guys like limp into prayer? You know, maybe you don't even know what I mean, but some of you are shaking your head. You don't know what I mean yet, okay? But I limp into prayer. And I'm like, okay, God, like, if you can do this, like, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Like, can, can you just do this? Like, this is not what these people were doing. They came with expectancy. They were eager that, like, God had just done this crazy miracle. And I know that he can do even more. 
And so they prayed with expectation. They believed that God was going to continue to do amazing things. Are you expectant as you pray that God can do something huge in your life? They were. They were persistent. They were expectant. But they were also dependent. All right? Because they knew, guys, as as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the key verse in Acts that, hey, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the world. They knew that they needed something that they didn't have in order to do this. I mean, Jesus said, like, go into the world, tell everybody in the whole world that I'm alive and that I save sinners and bring about salvation. Now, they heard this, guys. We hear that and we're like, okay, great. You know, Justin Bieber has a million followers and he can put something on his Insta story and tell everybody about Jesus. Like, everybody in the world. They didn't have, like, most of these people probably hadn't gone, like, 50 miles away from their hometown their entire life. And so Jesus says, now you're going to go into the world and tell everybody. They were like, how, like, how is this going to be even possible? And that's why Jesus says it's a power that you don't possess yet, but it's coming. They knew that they couldn't do it. And so they prayed and they just had this sense of dependence and they just said, God, help me. We tend to be such like a, a prideful group of people that we think we can do everything. And so we don't pray until we mess up things really bad, Right? Like, we, we do things and just keep going and going, and then we mess it up, and we're like, oh, God, fix that, right? Um, that's stupid. I shouldn't, right? These people, they, they prayed consistently with expectation because they knew that they didn't have what it took to do the things that Jesus had for them to do. And guys, as I read this, here's what I sensed him saying to me this week. Because people in churches that are trying to do things that they can't do on their own power, they pray a lot. They pray a lot. And what we're setting out to do as a church in Doxa, because it's something that we cannot do on our own power. Like we wanna make a gospel dent here in our city. We wanna see hundreds, thousands of people come to know Jesus. We, we want to plant churches all around our state, in our country, in our world. Like, this is not something that we're going to be able to do. We're not that talented. We don't have what it takes. Like, if we don't have great preachers and great music, and we're not going to be so attractional that people are going to be like, oh my gosh, like, come here. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to pray and just ask God to do something big and be expectant, independent that he will. I was, I was hanging out with a guy. There's a... a pastor in our network called, um, called named Paul, Paul Sabino. All right. He just planted a church at the university of Florida. And I remember I respect him a ton. And the first time I hung out with him, like, he's kind of like an interesting, like intense guy. And, and I remember usually when you hang out with somebody, you're like asking them questions about like, Hey, like how long you been married? How many kids you have? Like that type of stuff. He just looked at me and like the first question he asked me was like, Hey, tell me about your prayer life. I was like, all right, well, and I started telling him, I'm like, man, it's just like a struggle. Like it's hard for me to pray. Like, I don't really pray as much as I should. I know I should. And, and I, eventually I just asked him, I'm like, well, why do you, why'd you ask me that? And he was like, well, I can just tell a ton about how much you depend on God by how much you pray. And that has stuck with me. So many of us, we, we depend on our own power. These people got it. And here's how I'll end this, guys. What does this all mean for us? Because as these people gathered and believed and prayed, it set up Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Like, this is what kind of set the stage for God to kind of blow through and just have revival. 
Revival is just like an awakening where like God does big things and like thousands of people come to Jesus, right? But they gathered, they, they believed and they prayed. And God on Pentecost like saved like 3,000 people in a day through one guy's sermon. And when you study, guys, I, I started studying like the history of revivals throughout the world that since Pentecost, there's actually been like a number of great awakenings throughout human history, right? Like, for example, like when you look at uh, in the 1850s, 1857 to 1859, there was like the great awakening in North America. And in that time, in those a year and a half to two year period, two million people came to Jesus. And the population of New York City in that time was, was only 29 million. Two million people came to Jesus in like a year and a half, two years. You know how it started? They traced it back. It started with a pastor who got his buddy together. And he's like, I feel like we just, we need to pray. Like, I believe God wants to do great things. And they gathered over their lunch break for an hour. And that first day, it was just him and his buddy. And then six people showed up. And then next week, there was like 20 people. In a couple weeks, there was like 100 people. And in that time, 10,000 people throughout the city started gathering together over their hour lunch break. And they were praying with persistence and expectation that God was going to do something great. And when you look at like the Great Awakening in like Scotland and even the Azusa Street Revivals in L.A., guys, where, where God did amazing things and all these people came to Jesus. You can go to L.A. right now and go to the house that the Azusa Street Revival happened. It started with a couple old ladies getting together and they just gathered together and they believed that God wanted to do something amazing and they started praying with expectancy and God moved. Guys, I believe that God can move today like he has in the past. I believe that. And as we gather and we have that belief, if we become a family that is committed to prayer, guys, I really believe that we'll see this. That we gather, we believe, and we pray. And guys, this is the way, like if our life is like a sailboat, when we do those things, it's like raising the sail of our life where the Holy Spirit can just blow and move. Because the big idea is this, is when we wait intentionally, Jesus will move powerfully. Guys, let's be that kind of church. What does that look like in your life? A guy in my connection group, probably six months ago, we had a guy's time in my basement, and he was like, I feel like God is saying, like, we need to get together and just beg him to do something great. And we've been gathering every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. and just crying out to God, praying for you, praying for our city. Guys, what would it look like if all of our church started just gathering together and praying with belief that God would do something great. It would be